Welcome in to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. This is a unique podcast. It's not the archives of the big show. This one uh, stands on its own. And we have done, uh, gosh, I don't know how many. We've done a lot of these now. And we take on all kinds of topics. We may talk about what's going on within the show. We may interview people that worked for us in the past, uh, the staff that works for us now and get their history with the show. Uh, and uh, we, we, this, this is much like the big show when we may talk about anything. And today is is a topic um, uh, that uh, I think is really important. It's one that we've talked about uh, a little bit on the big show, uh, but uh, we also have a, a guest that has already been on with us before uh, because he now has a brand new book that's out. And this is Pastor Dean and Sarah, uh, who is uh, with us from City Church, Tallahassee, Florida. Uh, he was on when he released the book, The Unsaved Christian, and we also did that on the Wednesday Bible study. And and I will tell you. Uh, of all the Bible studies that that we've done, it probably garnered the most emails uh, and the most calls because I think it it, it was what the book said. Uh, this is something that is rampant uh, in the United States of America, especially in the Bible Belt, and that is something called cultural Christianity. And I think it really hit a nerve with the with the audience. And I'm a recovering cultural Christian, so it, it hit a nerve with me. And I think uh, that it was used by God to have an impact and and have people do what the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth to do, to examine themselves, to really test whether the evidence of Christ was in their life or whether this was just some cultural experience or, as we've taught, said before, if you really break it down, some demonic faith because uh, demons believe all the things that cultural Christians believe. But today, uh, the new book comes out, uh, and it's been out, but it's, uh, it's our first time to talk about it. This is called Getting Over Yourself. Well, we've all wanted to tell somebody that, haven't oh, we? Oh, my goodness. And Pastor Dean and Sarah joins us again. Dean, welcome Dean. back. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, thanks, guys. Great to be back with you. This has been a weird book to hand to somebody as a gift. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> when I saw you on social media starting to, when you started throwing out months ago, hey, this is coming, and I saw the title, I really thought to myself, and I think it's why we like you so much, I thought to myself, Dean, just he his goal is to be sure that people are constantly upset with him. I, I mean, it, it, it's, it's just, a, and you know, when you Dean, do, we need a good soothing book from you that we can read <laughs> before know. bedtime. Can you can you put one out? Hey, you're doing well. Uh, I mean, yeah, so, seriously, I, the I, peace I of like Christ. I need to plagiarize a Joel Osteen book or something just to <laughs> balance it out. Well, so so let's jump into it because when you read the title. You may think, uh, oh, okay, well, this is reminding, and it is, that, that we all need to get over ourselves, but it's really, it, it's deeper than that. There, there's something going on uh, in the modern Western church, and I guess, uh, I hope it hasn't crept into other parts of the world. If, if it hasn't, it will. Now, the prosperity gospel has, you know, it, it plagues on third world countries and has for as long as it's been out there. And, and you're making the case in this book that the prosperity, this health, wealth, and prosperity thing uh, you know, it, it, at one time it had a presentation that we all remember. There's the there's the guy on TV or the woman on TV, and they're saying that if you'll you know uh, send them a certain amount of money and they'll pray for you and you'll be healed, or you know you're trying to uh, put an investment in God's kingdom and then He's going to give that back to you, and and if you'll send this to me and you know da 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 da, da and you you know if you really have enough faith, you'll never be sick, you'll never be poor. Uh, you'll you'll really live your best life now, which was an actual title uh, of a Joel Osteen book. Uh, but but what's happening now? It, it it's almost it's a little more devious. There there's something going on, and you see it creeping into the lyrics of a lot of modern worship songs. And 
there's a theology that is building out there that you take on in the book. So tell us what you mean, uh, what, what your hope is that people will find in this book, and then we'll get into details. Yeah, I'm really concerned about what I call the new prosperity gospel. Again, it's not what you described as far as the old one goes. And again, we know the old one still exists, but kind of the traditional old prosperity gospel you described perfectly. Uh, it's not, it's, it has some of the same beliefs as that, but this one is very trendy, very cool, very savvy, very hip. It's branded well. It's genius on social media. And rather than telling you that you're never going to get sick or that uh, maybe that God's going to drop, you know, $100,000 in your bank account overnight just because you call the 1-800 number because you believe enough or have faith. This messaging is more taking the self-help movement uh, that's happening all across our country and all across really the affluent West, and it is making it sound and become more Christian. So it's taking Christian language out of context, Bible verses, some Jesus kind of language, and it's sprinkling it on top of this very secular, humanistic, self-help message. And as a result, people are thinking and buying that this is actually Christianity, and it's not French. Like we can, we can you know, maybe almost dismiss it. It's very serious, the old prosperity gospel. It has led astray a lot of people, sadly. But we can at least go, it's fringe. You know, a, a lot of people don't take it seriously. This is not fringe. I call it pop Christianity. It's mainstream. I mean, it's right smack in the middle. And this is who people are following on Instagram. Uh, these are the books people are reading, the podcasts they're listening to, the quotes they're, po they're posting, the inspirational quotes on their social media. And it all goes back to the self-help Christianized Instagramification of the faith message. Dean, how do we, how do we strike the balance between what you're talking about? Because obviously the apostles, uh, you know, they, they suffered for their stance. You would think if there was a prosperity gospel, Paul, James, <laughs> yeah. all of them would have been they would have filthy rich and, and, and been sure. you know, in a great place. Clearly that did not happen. So we, we have to rule that out. But we also have promises from God. We have blessings from God. We see people throughout the Bible who were blessed in different ways. Uh, how do you how do you separate that? Where do you draw the line? And, and do you, it, it can be confusing to some people. How do you help separate that? Yeah, I don't think God wants us to be miserable either. <laughs> you know, I don't find right. that too much in the Bible. Not that we're promised that won't happen. Uh, but I don't think that's the alternative. I think it's a great question. I think the most important thing in terms of the promise side of things is that we're really careful that we don't ascribe promises to God that he never made. So what we do is we'll, we'll take maybe kind of isolated passages that are for a particular people at a particular time over a certain incident, like Babylonian captivity, for example. Uh, so high school graduation season uh, is upon us. And uh, so all you're going to see all over the place, in especially for Christian families, is Jeremiah 29, 11. Oh, yeah. I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. You know, plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Okay, does God have plans for us? Of course he has plans for us. Every single one of us who are his children, he has plans for us. But that was actually being spoken to people about what it looks like to live faithfully in captivity. Right. That, hey, we're going to trust God's promises of a future redemption and salvation. It has nothing to do with the fact that God's going to allow you to land a big job or he has these big ambitions for you. And I'm just worried a faith crisis is coming for a generation uh, that is being told things like the best is yet to come. And God just wants to unlock this potential inside of you. And you need to dream God-sized dreams. When most people are going to wind up, you know, living five miles from their parents, having a normal family, working a nine to five job to get to their retirement and, and do basically more or less the same thing every day. 
Well, in the new prosperity gospel, that would suggest that type of thing I just described is a bad thing. Like ordinary is bad. They would call it settling. I call settling the cuss word in the new prosperity gospel, when really the glorious life is a regular normal life with God and with his people. But that's not enough for these folks because it has to be glamorous, has to be performative, platformed, all these types of things. And I'm just really worried that God's promise to us is himself and a great relationship with him. And we are making it where his promise to us is really for us to advance ourselves and to be greater. And that's pretty concerning. Dean, you touched on something there that I've always felt like was very important. It was critical to me in my walk, and that is when I had someone explain to me, and I'm going to paraphrase this because I don't have the the exact uh, wording in front of me, but how to read the Bible. And the Bible being God's Word, and we feel like that it is God's Word, and it was for us, and it's perfect, and it's delivery to us. But we have to know how to read it. We have to know what we're dealing with here. It's kind of like it is the instruction manual, but you still have to know how to push, push the buttons on everything. And, and that was when you read something, you have to ask a couple of questions. Who was it said to? Uh, when was it said to them? And does it apply to me now? Because, as you said, everything does not exactly apply to me now, but we should look at it more in a historical context, right? Well, yes, and, and I think the where we need to really understand how it applies to me in the big picture of things, right? Not necessarily in the momentary instances of my life. Now, the big picture then allows me to live faithfully in the basic things of my life. Uh, but a lot of the times, the Old Testament, the application for us really is knowing more about who God is, right? You know that He is holy. Learning more about His story, what He thinks about sin, uh, the salvation promise He's made to His people, and an encouragement to trust God that he really is going to carry out everything that he has promised his people, which is redemption, life with him, for him to be their God, he, us to be his people, and ultimately salvation and heaven where real people go to spend eternity. Uh, so I think that when we read the scriptures, uh, the most important question we can ask, uh, besides, you know, what does this say, but what does it tell me about God? And if our first instinct is, what does it say about me? We're, we're just missing the point. That was the Bible for us and written about us. Of course it is. It's written written to a people to receive God's word, but the hero of the story ultimately is understood in the work and redemption of Jesus Christ. And when we go into the the scriptures trying to find other things, the Bible is never kind of written to give us a a, a verse of the day. Now, can we do that? And is that fine? Of course it is. That's helpful and that's great. But it was was written in context for us to read the story of God and his deliverance of people uh, from the really the punishment of sin and the captivity of sin. So that's how I got to go in big picture in the Bible. But how that carries out in the little things of the scriptures is now when things aren't going my way. You know, I have when things didn't work out as I thought, when it's really hit the fan in my life, I can still believe that God is faithful. And his faithfulness is not tied to whether or not things get better here, even though I pray they do and I want them to, and they might, might let that happen. Uh, my, my trust and my hope is in the fact that this is not all there is, that he who began a good work in me will be faithful to complete it in Christ. So when these new pop prosperity people say the best is yet to come, and they're talking about eternity with Jesus, rock on, I'm with you. Mm-hmm. The best is yet to come. Or if it means that when you come to Christ, uh, your marriage should get better. I hope it does. 
you know, your parenting does change. I hope it does. Your decision-making, uh, I, hope, I would hope your joy, uh, beca- joy becomes a reality in your life. So if that's the things they, they mean, then that's great, and amen. Uh, but oftentimes what they really mean is something that has to do with you being more famous, a bigger deal, uh, growing your platform, um, getting notoriety, having ease, uh, looking, looking better, more attractive, you know, all those type of things. And I don't know how in the world we can say that's a Christian message, but people are. And it's really disturbing. Dean and Sarah is our guest on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. The book is called Getting Over Yourself. You can find it anywhere, but if you want to go to moodypublishers.com, you can get the book there. Uh, We'll come back and continue our conversation on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Dean and Sarah, our guests, the book Getting Over Yourself. I want to go to the very beginning of the book because you and I, Bubba, we remember when this happened. Ted Turner makes the, the, the comment, and this is how the book starts that Christianity is uh, a religion for losers. Uh, and uh, if, if, you're, if you're wanting to really be something, you certainly don't want to be a Christian. And you say it at the beginning of the book, and you actually close again with that on The Best is Yet to Come, which we just talked about, at the end of the book, saying, well, really, Ted Turner, he got it right and he got it wrong. Uh, so, so unpack this statement from Ted Turner. Yeah. And when I first heard it, I was offended. You know, I wanted to point out all the times that his Atlanta Braves teams choked in the playoffs. That's probably the best thing to say to our listeners here to bring that up. Yeah. But that's what I wanted to say uh, immediately or how Vince McMahon eventually beat him in the Monday Night Wars with Raw yeah. and Monday Nitro back in the 90s. Uh, but so I was offended at first. And I said, wait a second here. He's actually on to something without even realizing it. he thinks yeah. he's being derogatory. Right. But the reality is, look what Paul said. I can all these things I've accomplished in my life. Those things are loss compared to knowing Christ. Like Paul would have seen himself as losing before he knew Jesus. So there is a victory in Christ, definitely. But here's the thing about our faith, where we, I guess we would say we're losers, is that we've acknowledged that we can't save ourselves. Right. Like we've acknowledged that we don't have all it takes, that we're not enough, that we're not good people on our own, that we are dependent people on the work of Christ on our behalf. So that's what it means to be a loser, then sign me up. I mean, I don't even need a participation trophy. I mean, sign me up. Uh, but where he's where he's wrong is that the victory is in Christ. So again, what the new prosperity gospel would say about that is they would make victory about right here, right now like you achieving stuff. And it only translates in an affluent American culture or Western culture. That that kind of messaging does not translate into any kind of persecution culture, a closed country, a very poor country. It, it just doesn't work, which is should first of all tell us that it's not a real gospel. It's our gospel is for every tongue, tribe, and nation existed long before America was even an idea on the, you know, a blip on the radar. Uh, but where the victory happens is we've been redeemed. Like mission has been accomplished. Like we are now God's people. Where the scriptures say, you, once you were not a people, First Peter, now you are a people. Like, like that's the win. Darkness to light. You were dead. Now you're alive. And the ultimate victory, I mean, is running up the score on this world. We're talking eternity forever and ever that our minds can't even grasp of life with God, new heavens, new earth, and we win. But the way we win is actually that Jesus won for us and we're his people. But how that victory happens for us individually is by first acknowledging we're not winners, but Jesus is, and well, we need to put our trust in him. So, well, yeah, so Turner, yeah, you were wrong, but you were right at the same time. Well, and you think about, you know how John MacArthur always beats around the bush. Uh, you know, I, I, I remember <laughs> just get him to open up. Yeah, I remember his statement when Osteen put the book out, Your Best Life Now. And it was, it really, you know, sometimes when John says something, you go, and there's nothing to add there. And, and MacArthur said the only people who are currently living – 
their best life now are only people who are going to hell. That's the only people that are living their best life now. No one else is going to – this is not the, – the best life is not going to be accomplished on earth. And you make the point in the book, not, not only is that true for uh, the, the lost, it's also true to the redeemed because I'm looking at my parents as they are in their uh, turning 80, and their life is nowhere near as wonderful from the earth standpoint as it was when they had their health – and they and they, they they have already lived a life on earth that's better than what they're living now. So it does not progressively get better here on earth. But now if they have the peace of redemption, which my mom and I talk about all the time, and the, the things that uh, every family has to go through, we've been through some horrific things, that we do know that because of what Christ did, this is not as good as it's always going to be. It is going to get better, but but not necessarily here. And, uh, and so one of the things you said in this book, and, and I, I was sitting down with a younger a man that I, was, that I was mentoring, and he, was, he found himself in one of these churches that you are describing in the book, okay, that we need to be concerned about. And I thought it was really profound that a young dude was figuring it out. You know, he sat with me and he said, well, here's what I've noticed. When I first got to this church, I actually felt really great about it, which you, you talk about in the book. You will. You know, experience. (laughs) It's an incredible experience. Yeah. And then listen to the statement and it ties into your book so perfectly because it's almost like he he was thinking what you were about to write because he was experiencing it. He said, but then it got to the point where I couldn't really tell the difference between the message and a TED talk. (laughs) How about that? From a young guy. Yes. That's it. That's it. That's it. He explained it. Yeah. Uh, uh, and he wow. said, yeah, and because and the more he began to learn, thankfully being mentored by other men and getting in small groups, the more it wasn't matching up, he was starting to now see this message took that verse that I unpacked with the older guys, and the way this guy's saying it, he's, he's putting a different spin on it. Uh, and what he really wants me to think is that God wants me to be successful in a really big deal, and if I'm not, then I'm not really tapping into the power of God. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He basically, and it really all goes back to the fact that ultimately God wants you to be happy. Like mm. that's the messaging. Do more of what makes you happy. But when you throw some Bible verses on it, it makes it sound like, amen, that's God's, God's purpose of life. So what then happens is anything in the way of that, they're told they have to get rid of. And what I'm seeing here in Tallahassee, just through all the relationships I have is it's, it's affecting marriages. People who claim to be Christians Think, well, okay, well, you know, my life's ordinary. Uh, I, I could be a lot happier. Okay, let's get rid of anything in my life. You know, be the best version of you, they like to say. Well, what's, what's, what are things in my life that are, that are causing me to not be, you know, flourish and be able to do whatever I want to do? And it's, oh, my spouse. Right. So now all of a sudden we're seeing people have midlife crisis at 30 years old instead of 50. And instead of, you know, getting 15 tattoos and buying a convertible and going to the gym, <laughs> Uh, they are instead becoming just obsessed with themselves and taking tons of selfies. And, and uh, it's, everything's about motivational Monday and go slay the day. And you know, it's, God wants to turn your, you know, your setback and turn it into a comeback. And it's all this motivational speaking. That's a bunch of hogwash that we've turned to Christianity and it's packing churches. Like it's packing churches. I, uh, like I can almost like tell you the churches these guys go to who you bring up. I could guess and I could get it right. Yeah, uh, I'm we're not go- going to. I'm not going to, but I could. No, <laughs> and that's not what we're going to do. We're not here today to course, to be specific, but but in general, we're we're trying to educate uh, you on this podcast and ultimately in the book 
on how to discern it. We'll come back. we got more questions for you. We're talking to Dean and Sarah. Uh, he's our guest on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so we know that HR issues, Bubba, at work can be a nightmare. And if you're like us, you're a small company, do you realize where are you going to find an average of $75,000 to bring an HR person in? And you may be thinking, well, we, we just don't have that. So now the HR issues become your problem. Well, I'm so glad to introduce you to Bambi, B-A-M-B-E-E, because it was created specifically for, like us, small businesses. You get a dedicated HR manager that crafts HR policy, maintains your compliance, all for just $99 a month. Now, with Bambi, you you can change uh, HR from a, a liability and a hassle to one of your biggest strengths because your dedicated HR manager is available to you by phone, Email, real-time chat, we're talking $99 a month. Yeah, you, somebody else handles somebody coming on board. So the, this, this HR manager handles, handles terminations for you. They customize the policies that fit your business. They help you manage your employees day by day for $99 a month. And you can go month to month. You don't have to do a long-term contract. There's no hidden fees. You can cancel anytime you want to. Bambi's ready to help you, and we'll give you a free HR audit today. Just go to Bambi, B-A-M-B-E dot com slash Rick and Bubba right now and schedule your free HR audit. That's Bambi dot com slash Rick and Bubba. Back with Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, our guest is Dean and Sarah. The book is Get Over Yourself. Dean, let me ask you about the current day Western church. We, we're talking about that because that's what Christians are hearing every day. Um, do we... Have we gone to this happy, feel-good message to the point that we don't hear what sin costs, and we don't hear? I mean, nobody gets excited about a message on hell. I mean, it's just hard to do that. But if you don't understand the cost of sin, you really can't appreciate the Savior from sin. That's right. Yeah, I'm preaching through Isaiah coming up at our church, and I and I told in my message I've written down my upcoming message that if we don't even begin to get in the ballpark as much as our human minds can even grasp how God views sin, we'll never be able to even begin to grasp His love and how amazing His love is. So in Romans five eight says that while we were sin, here's God's love. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That that's not meant to be sentimental. That's meant to go, oh my! I mean, like mind blow kind of thing. Like this is how much God loves us. That sin, which he detests, you know, which he, his own son died for, right? Like that level of sin. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Like that's God's love for us. So, so I worry that I think these people think they're experiencing God and experiencing God's love. And I would argue maybe you are some, I'm not going to tell you you're not, but I don't think you are to the fullest uh, because if it's not based on, it's, it's not atonement centered, the cross centered, uh, then we're not fully going to be able to understand it. Um, I, uh, have a guy who came through our college ministry here at City Church, and he came in the door as a new freshman, and all he knew was this new prosperity gospel. It's what he listened to. It's uh, what he was drawn to, the guys he quoted. I mean, it was all his followers, all that stuff. And he came here our first Sunday, and he thought we were mean. right? And not because of our tone, not because we said anything harsh, (laughs) but simply because we talked about sin and because we talked about the need for repentance. And then over time, he already claimed to be a believer, and I think he was. I'm not trying to say he wasn't. Uh, but he did just this this component of the faith that is so critical that I think is a faith that's going to last, really, didn't click for him. And he'll tell you what changed the game was when he actually started hearing the real thing. 
So he decided to come back the next week, get involved in our college ministry, back again. And he started actually hearing the true gospel every week. Not that we're the ones who have the market cornered on that. We believe the scriptures have the market cornered on that. Right. So we're just trying to preach the Bible. And his life was radically changed, even though he had told you he knew Jesus. And I do think he did. Uh, in terms of his idea of the Christian life and who God was and what this meant, which was totally radically turned upside down. Well, I, I met a—the reason I asked that, I met a guy uh, once upon a time who was working very hard helping volunteer fire departments get started in finance and all that. And of course, they go through a lot trying mm-hmm. to get that done. And one of the reasons that was his passion, he had been saved from a fire. There you go. By oh, a wow. fireman from a volunteer fire department. So that had a real personal thing with him, so he had a passion for it. As opposed to maybe you don't answer the door when you know somebody's coming for a donation when you you haven't had to deal with it. But if you don't if you don't appreciate the fire, that's right. It's hard to appreciate the fireman. And and you know and I think there may have been a time that the church had the balance too far the other way, but we're allowing this this new movement to take it and swing it to a place that's dangerous. To what is what you're saying in the book? I mean, we can have fun with it and we can make fun of it and all that, but it's actually very dangerous. Because yeah. these, because these are the churches, and by the way, this shouldn't, shouldn't surprise us. These are the churches that are packed to the gills, that are opening campuses one after another, because it's very popular uh, and it's seeker friendly, and there's nothing wrong with you know trying to get, get somebody to come in. But that when they once they get there, to Bubba's point, Dean, to your point, we said this on the air this past Good Friday. If you don't understand the state that we are in, and you don't understand God's holiness. And you don't understand why Jesus, the 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 one hundred percent man side's capillaries were bursting in the garden, and his sweat was mixed with blood. The reason why that's happening is when he said, "Father, can you let this cup pass?" Well, that's the cup of God's wrath because He's holy, and His His wrath was going to come down on sin one way or another. That's His character. He's holy, and so the, here's His Son, that one hundred percent man side, saying, "I've got to take the wrath of God." on me that is due those of you who have sinned and I'm sinless. And so that's stressful. Well, to Bubba's point, to your point, if I don't understand that and I'm never told that and I'm not told that I need to mortify myself and I need to beat my flesh into submission, I need to feed the spirit and and not feed the flesh. It's not about feeding the flesh. If I don't hear that and I don't understand what, what propitiation really means, that Jesus became the substitute well, the substitute for what? Bubba, you said this all the time. Why do we call him Savior? Well, why don't you tell me what I've been saved from? And you, there needs to be that balance because if not, and we said this on there, you don't even know how to celebrate Good Friday. You don't know how to celebrate Resurrection Sunday because you don't even understand the gospel. Yeah, the opposite of this messaging is not hellfire and brimstone. You know, it's lifting up the name of Christ right. and his work for us on our behalf. Like that, That's the opposite where he's the center. He's the focus uh, where we're no, so really what's happening in some of these, these churches. And we have, and again, it's not it's not divisive or harsh to say these things out loud, because the ones who are divisive are the ones who are walking away from this, from orthodoxy into this new prosperity gospel. They're the ones who are being divisive without realizing it because they're creating their own kind of sect of Christianity. And what's happening is it's just all about the experience. So if you had this goosebumps, amazing experience, and you you know just feel so inspired, and and that talk was just so vulnerable and so authentic, and all the words they like to use, but the reality is you're not hearing much. Uh, but the music, and I'm all for inspiring music, and, and uh, go for it. Like have the best music possible that you like, and all those kind of things. But if a pulpit 
is is not making Jesus the focus and his work. And that's the whole story of the Bible. It's the story of God redeeming a people to himself, ultimately fulfilled in Christ. And if that's not what's coming from the pulpit, then there's not a, it's, it's, it's obvious, it's obvious this is what we have right now. So in the new prosperity gospel, guys, what's really happening is when it comes to these churches, that pragmatism is the most important thing. Like pragmatism wins the day. So if it works and people are coming, that's what we're going to keep doing. Well, what's going to turn people away? Messages that aren't going to make them feel awesome all the time, right? Yeah. Now, I want our folks to feel awesome in Christ. Like, I want them to feel great about Jesus, right? And what Jesus has done for them. And to ultimately do that's going to require getting over ourselves. Look at John the Baptist. If anybody had a platform and influence and, a, and you know, and something to lose from this world, it would have been John. Uh, he was a weird guy and a little quirky and had his little, you know, eccentric kind of things. But people were so confused. They thought they were being baptized into John's name. That's how big of a deal he was. Now, John didn't want that. But that's how big of a deal he was. Jesus comes on the scene. And when he comes on the scene, John doesn't say, oh, look, there's our life coach. Or look, there's our great motivator. He goes, he, he basically summarizes all of Old Testament history. And he says, the Lamb of God. There he is who takes away the sin of the world. And then how does he respond to that? He says, he must increase. I must decrease. Now, the New Prosperity Gospel, they were told what I just said, they'd be fine. They'd say amen, but they won't admit this out loud. But functionally, what happens is, yeah, we want Jesus to increase. We just want to as well. <laughs> just yeah. let us go with them. <laughs> like, like, we're all for Jesus getting bigger. We want to get bigger, too. Just don't forget about us. It's kind of the approach. And it, that, that's not that's not the way of the cross and not the way of the Christian people. You know, I, I think that's a great example, because mm-hmm. yeah. if John the Baptist had to decrease, mm-hmm. Bill Bubba Bussy does, Rick Burgess does. Yeah. Dean does. I mean, we yeah. don't we don't have a, a some special place higher than John the Baptist. Yeah. How how would you like this, Dean? If you were looking for an endorsement for your new book, and John the Baptist could have done this, and on the back of John the Baptist's book it said, "There is no man born of a woman greater than John." Dot dot dot. Jesus. I mean, I mean, you'd be like, can I get that? Like, <laughs> your publisher would be like, hey, can we get that? Can he, will he turn that in? I mean, and 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 so, yeah. but but to all yeah. of you, but see, John did his job, and this is the part I love about the study of John the Baptist, and he's one of my favorite guys. There's not a lot about him, but what's about him in the Bible is incredible. Is that he did such a good job, even with this platform. The minute he told his followers to go follow him, they did to go follow Jesus. That's right. He looked at me and he says, well, I, I, "I'm done. You go follow Jesus." And they walk over to him, and Jesus says, "What do you want?" And he said, "We understand we're supposed to follow you now." John did his job. And they did exactly what John told him to do, which shows you he's a, he was a great leader. Yeah, he said, I'm the guy behind the guy. <laughs> I'm That's pointing right. to somebody else. I'm not, I'm not worthy not worthy to tie sandals. Uh, yeah. I, I'm nothing compared to him. That's the guy I've been telling you about. All I've done is set you up to go follow him. And that, and that should be the story of our lives, yeah. right? That, that not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. And, and that needs to be our story. And again, I'm not trying to say our lives should be miserable. I'm not trying to say I, – I, I would call the life I live a fairly easy, comfortable life. Uh, you know, besides the stresses of ministry and those kind of things, I mean, I, I'm not trying to say that if we should never have lives that are just smooth and that we enjoy. No, yes, we those things are all fine, but it must be understood in Christ. In John 10, when Jesus says we're to have life more abundantly, the verse before that, he says that he is the gate, as in y'all come on in and find pasture. In other words, hey, all you're looking for in life is found in meat. Like, like this is where it is. I mean, think of a pasture. Like, a, if it's like a fall, like a nice spring day where it's nice outside, grass, what does it make you just kind of go, ah, oh, it just kind of makes you just take a deep breath. Like, Jesus is the pasture for us. 
And that's what we need to realize. All that we're looking for, we don't have to go around God to find what we're looking for. We can go to him. I don't have to, I don't have to you know, disobey God uh, to gain advantage in this world. I don't have to magnify myself uh, because for me, the advantage I'm looking for is not an advantage that the secular world says is winning, but the advantage of knowing that more of me, or excuse me, less of me, more of Christ means that I'm in the right relationship with God and my life with God is where it's supposed to be. We'll come back. We'll continue with Dean and Sarah. The book is Getting Over Yourself on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. All right, so I want you to understand about Patriot Mobile right now, and there's a couple opportunities here. And I know all of us, when we look at some of the things that are going on, and Bubba, how many times have we talked about this on the show? If we don't want to be with companies that do not represent our values, then there has to be somebody that competes with them that does as good a job and hopefully better. Well, let me introduce you to patriotmobile.com slash rickbubba right now. PatriotMobile.com slash Rick Bubba. They have uh, broadcast nationwide, uh, the broadest nationwide coverage, meaning you're not going to be giving up coverage when you go to their cell service. They use the same towers as all the major carriers do. Get the great uh, service that you're expecting from them. Uh, They have plans that fit any budget, including multi-line discounts. And switching is very easy. Here's all you got to do. Listen to this. PatriotMobile.com slash Rick Bubba, or you can call their U.S.-based customer service, 972-PATRIOT, that's 972-PATRIOT, veterans and first responders, you're going to save even more. Now, here's the get, the discount we're talking about. We're talking about 50% off. We're talking about 50% off your first two months plus a free Patriot starter kit. You get both of these. When you go to uh, the, the URL I just gave you, patriotmobile.com slash rickbubba, not only are you getting the discount, not only are you getting the free starter kit, you also get a chance to win cellular service for life with the code I just gave you, Rick Bubba. That's patriotmobile.com slash Rick Bubba, or you can call them at 972-PATRIOT and mention Rick Bubba. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, the book, Getting Over Yourself, our guests, Dean and Sarah. Dean, you you make some great points today. Do do you think, too, uh, because people sometimes hold too high of opinion of themselves, but do you think that 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 opinion is maybe – uh, mispointed in the right direction because I used to have a friend. He had a great saying. He said, "You know, we're eternal beings that uh, wear an earth suit for a short amount of time, and then we're released back to what we were really created to be, and that is in the image of God Himself, being a spiritual being." When you really think about that, that that that's kind of mind blowing in itself. Not that we should be. Uh, cocky about what we are, but the fact we should appreciate what we are and work towards seeing that to the fullest. Yeah, if our confidence is in who we are in Christ and who He has made us, then let's go. Right? Uh, there, there. But I, I think there's two things that kind of happen in the Christian life. There should be a limp when we walk a little because we understand yeah, uh, that we're, we're we're bypassing here. This is not our ultimate home. Uh, that that life is hard, uh, that there are crosses for us to carry, Jesus said. But at the same time, there's a, in, in, a, in a non-cocky way, there's a little bit of a confident strut, right? right. Uh, and not not a strut of me, but of Christ, that that I am, all, all the things that I have been looking for in my life, I have found, and his name is Jesus, right? And so because of that, I, I can find uh, true fulfillment and actually find joy that lasts. Even when I have a really big limp, I can still even move a little bit. Uh, outside of that limp. Why? Uh, because I know that this, as Rick was saying earlier, this is temporary. 
Like this is not forever. Yeah, I might have been thriving by the standards of this world in my 20s, 30s and 40s. Uh, but now I'm 80 years old and I you know, can't move like I used to. And life isn't as easy. And I'm dependent on a lot of people. Well, you know what? Believe it or not, you've been dependent your entire life on Jesus to give you every breath you have. Yeah, and, and I now, that, yeah. And I think, Dean, the thing that's missed in that is when you look at, like I talk about my parents and I talk about, you know, we've all been through hard things and, and you know, and Bubba went through it with us. We, you know, my wife and I had to bury a two and a half year old son. Uh, and, and, and what these things are doing, just like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians, when he's having this conversation with God about this thorn in his flesh, that he says is so grueling that Satan has sent a demon to harass him with it. I guess constantly tell him, look what God's allowing. You keep telling God to take this away. See, that's what Satan will do to you a lot of times. So God is sovereign, yes. So God loves you, yes. So God could take away this pain, yes. Well, he's not doing it. You know, and, and then to try to turn you on God. And you know what Paul's response was? No, I know why he's doing it. I'm asking, nothing wrong with asking, and God might remove it. But he said, but you're not removing it. And I know why. I love that because he didn't leave us hanging like, well, I wonder why God wouldn't remove it. He said, you're not removing it to keep me from being conceited. Well, that flies in the face of this, uh, this new gospel that you're, you're afraid of. Hey, how about this? You're t- reminding me that compared to you, I'm nothing. I'm also reminding that I used to persecute your church, and I killed people, and I jailed people, and I was, I'm actually compared to you a man of great sin. And the fact that I'm apostle, 1 Corinthians 15, 9, and 10, they I shouldn't even be an apostle because of the things I've done. And the only thing good about me is your grace, but your grace on me will never be in vain. And thank you through suffering that you're allowing me to continue to be humbled and so dependent on you, and I'm constantly reminded that I don't really need anything other than your grace. The fact that you were gracious to me is enough. Now, and, and see, that, that's a message that is not very popular, but it's biblically and theologically sound. And, and even my wife talked about in, in her book, and she took five years to grind it, and she admitted this. She said, I remember saying to God, because we had the five children and the, and the show was prospering and we had all these wonderful things, we were experiencing vacations we'd never had, and when, we, when our son died, I remember crying out to God, but we were so happy. And she said, and I understood through who he was, and I heard clearly, but I want you to be holy. But I want you to be holy. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't call you to, to never-ending earthly happiness. What I'm really doing through all this is for you to be holy. Your relationship with me is going to be different after this, that, that things are going to be done through this that weren't going to be doing any other, done any other way. And you think, like the limp, you think that's not a limp? That we, you think we're not he- more heaven-focused than we used to be? And then it went a step further to what you're saying. We actually made the mistake in the beginning that our whole heaven focus was we want to see our kid again. And you think, well, there's nothing wrong with that, Rick, until through our continued sanctification, finally, and Sherry says this, no, my reward in heaven is Jesus. We love our son, and we look forward to that day, but that's not the focus of heaven. The focus of heaven is to be in the presence of Jesus. Jesus is it. Jesus isn't enamored with me. I should be enamored with him. Jesus doesn't worship me. I should be worshiping him. Hey, I don't know who wrote this song, Don't Want to Be Mean. God is okay having heaven without you. You know, I, I remember the first time I heard that lyric, you didn't want heaven without us. And I looked at my wife. I said, who wrote that? You think God needs me for heaven to be okay? He's the one that's wonderful. It's not. He, I don't make him any better. You know, he's, he's the one that's worthy of worship. I'm not worthy of worship. I promise you God doesn't worship us. 
He, hey, he loves us. Hey, totally. he, hey, he loves us. Praise God mm-hmm. for that. But when you walk into some of these churches, you almost think God's worshiping humans. Oh, definitely. And the story you just told of your own family and what you guys have been through, that's a lot different than God's going to give you a breakthrough. Yeah. <laughs> he's yeah. going to take he's going to take your setback as if it was just a setback. I mean, good mercy it was a, you know, it was a yeah. tragedy. Yeah. Your setback and turn it into a comeback. But that's the, there's no category for suffering for this gospel. Uh, and then what they do is they will ma- make it where it's they, instead of using even like things like sin, instead of talking about sin, they'll use the word brokenness. They love that word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, is brokenness a biblical idea? Of yeah. course it is. Right. We live in the result of a broken world. But it's all going to be about brokenness when it comes to sin. That's all we're going to talk about is how messed up and how broken we are, but not in the fact that we're totally depraved sinners. Instead, it's going to be, you know, we all make mistakes, and but, you know, God's got this, um, this potential in you he wants to unlock, and basically you're going to be a gift and a blessing to the rest of the world. You know, not, not Jesus being the gift and the blessing, That's but right. you're going to be the gift and the blessing to the rest of the world. Uh, but someone who experienced what you went through, uh, they, they, don't have, they don't have anything to say. They don't know what to say. And not, not that any of us are experts on what to say in such a tragedy, but it's all going to go back to this kind of very surface level, generic, you know, kind of idea of, of God going to make all this better. And, and that's what, what are we talking about? You know, and, and instead, let's talk about what you just said. What, what's God trying? How's God trying to use this for his glory? Even though that doesn't make sense to me. You know, how does this apply to those he foreknew? You know, he's conforming to the image of Christ. The, I, I, I don't know. That's what God tells us what's happening. I don't know how it exactly happens. But that's what's happening in our lives. And what he's doing, these things aren't happening, so we can be a better us, right? And, and just happy, yeah. Holiness and, is his goal for us, not happiness, right? And you know what? He's not silent. We just gave an example of Paul, but the reason why a lot of people don't know these things are in scriptures because the person in the pulpit never tells them. Now, should they study it on their own? Yeah, but that's why the shepherd is there. I, I got to start somewhere. I need the shepherd to tell me things before I know them myself. You know, I, I've got a responsibility. I got that, but the shepherd's got a responsibility as well. Oh, yeah. And and also, I only get them for 40 minutes. I, my sermons from anywhere from 30 to 40 minutes. I only get them for 40 minutes a week. You know, the, the rest of the time, look at all the messaging that's just coming from so oh, many different yeah. places. And we are, and it's not a coincidence that we are where we are. When you go, when you drift to these, these preachers, it's going to be in your ear all the time. And you're going to believe that the purpose of God, the purpose of the Christian faith is basically for God to make you a better you. No, God wants to make a new you, <laughs> not, not a better you. A better you. <laughs> yeah. Well, and the other thing, you mentioned a very popular daily devotional, and we only got a few more minutes, Jesus Calling, and I have seen that everywhere. Everywhere. And I did not know, because I've just seen it, I've never read it, but I've seen it on a lot of coffee tables and stuff. I didn't realize that the woman who wrote that didn't get any of it from the Bible, that she said she sat there and just started writing down things that came to her mind. Because the Bible wasn't enough for her. She actually says that. She said she needed more. And I'm like more than the word than the words of the creator of the universe, you know. And so, but that and again, that and again, these kind of things. And I want the listeners to hear. I'm not saying there can't be some good things said in the book. Right. I'm sure there's some wonderful things in. However, when that is the overarching big idea of why you needed this book, you know, is that you needed more than this because it's, it's treated as a devotional. We're not talking about just random paperback that you read by the pool. Or, you know, our book you read to help you grow in your faith. Yeah. Uh, we're talking about an actual book that is substituted as a devotional for people because the scriptures weren't engaging enough or, or inspiring enough. Or, and, and we just have to be, we got have discernment. I'm not saying be the police 24-7 of theology. I'm not asking you to, you know, find fault in everything. That's not what we're trying to do here. We're trying to see things that are clear as can be, you know, that are simply leading us away from the scriptures and to ourselves. 
and what, realizing how dangerous it even makes it really becomes when those things are done in the name of air quotes, God, yeah. you know, they're done in the name of faith. And I believe that we have kind of two extremes happening in terms of the results. We haven't seen the full results yet. It's still new. Yeah. This is a newer gospel, yeah. but I think we're seeing, I think you're going to see either people that have a faith crisis when everything doesn't work out like they thought, or they wouldn't be able to function. They moved to a small town where there wasn't a glamorous church. They wouldn't be able to be in fellowship and have a worship experience unless it's like bells and whistles and all those things. That's a big problem. And the second thing is chronic discontentment, chronic discontentment, where it's just there's just always something more. It's never enough, never happy. And they think that Jesus is the one that wants them to be that way. You know, pursue those things to fix it. It's an important book, and and you know what? Just what you describe, and you say this in the book, but that's the same thing we hear from people that said they were trying to find everything in this world, and they got everything the world had to offer, including Solomon himself, and they all came to the same conclusion: it's never enough. If you're going to a church, and 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 you keep saying, "Well, this is never enough. Scripture is never enough." Uh, what Jesus said: deny yourself. Next, next speaker, please. Can you say something else? Can you. I didn't like that Jesus said deny self. Yeah, but that's what he said. Well, could somebody? Well, I want to hear something different then. And and, and so if, if if that's the case, you know, if that's the case, Rick, maybe you need to get over yourself. Yeah, you may need to. So, <laughs> so so pick it up. There it is. Dean, we could talk for hours. And um, thank you for always being available to us. I, God's given you a voice too. The way you communicate this is um, uh, is unique to to you, and uh, and and God is is using you again to speak to a topic in a way that we all can fully grasp it. Uh, if you want to pick this book up, you can go to moodypublishers.com, but it's really available on Amazon anywhere you go. Getting Over Yourself by Dean and Sarah. When I did your book on the Bible study, everybody thought I was saying Dean and Sarah. <laughs> oh, yeah. His wife's not named Sarah, and she's nope. not, it's Dean and Sarah, and you can pick it up anywhere. Dean, thank you for being with us, brother. Thanks, Dean. Hey, thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate you all a lot. Uh, press on. Thanks for being with us, too, today on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast.